Would you bow with me once more? Father, thank you for your word. I pray that this morning we would receive it as living and active, and that by your Holy Spirit you would open our hearts to receive what you have for us, and I pray that we would put into action what we learn as you would prompt us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. A story is told that at the beginning of a new year, a high school principal decided to post his teacher's New Year's resolutions on the school's bulletin board as a means of inspiration for the school. So as the teachers gathered around the bulletin board, a great commotion started as one of the teachers started hollering, Why aren't my resolutions posted? She was throwing such a temper tantrum, in fact, that the principal hurried off to his office to see if he had, in fact, overlooked her resolutions. Sure enough, he'd misplaced hers on his desk. So without taking time to read it, he snatched it up and darted back into the room where the teacher was still complaining loudly. Hoping to calm her down, he called out, Here, I found your resolution. Let me read it out so everyone can hear. Then to everyone's astonishment, he read the following. In the new year, I resolve not to sweat the small stuff. (laughs) Now, I don't know if not having your New Year's resolutions posted on the bulletin board or not would uh, qualify as small stuff, but nonetheless, I think that was the most short-lived resolution in the history of (laughs) resolutions. How about you? Have you made any New Year's resolutions? Anyone? Anyone brave enough to put up your hand? Okay, there's one. There's one. There might be a couple others who have thought about making a New Year's resolution either this year or in previous years. Researchers have found that about one-third of people on a typical year, about one-third will make a New Year's resolution. It's human nature that when we pass a significant milestone, we tend to pause, evaluate where we've been, how we're doing, and then set new goals for the future. The areas people most often resolve to change are fairly consistent. Lose weight, exercise, get out of debt, spend more time with family, quit some bad habit, and without fail, the numbers of folks, you know, joining things like Weight Watchers or getting new gym memberships, they always skyrocket in January. In fact, gym companies and and dieting companies depend on this. January is their harvest, if you will. It's it's in fact quite a, a huge business come January. You know, it's human nature to want to do better, to want to better better ourselves. It's also human nature to fail. And like that teacher, we often fail quite quickly at times. Now, research, also backed by personal experience, can attest that of all resolutions made on January 1st, 90% of them are broken between 3 to 21 days hence. (laughs) So within three weeks from now, if you are still holding to your resolution, you are in the 10% minority of people who have made resolutions in this year. It doesn't take long for reality and for the grind of life resuming, or couple that with a lack of willpower, and it dries up and the resolution goes away. And so it begs the question, why is it so difficult Why is it so hard to keep a resolution? Why is it so hard to change? Well, there's a wide variety of reasons. Often people set unrealistic goals for themselves. They they set a goal that, that is just simply too hard to attain, and so they easily become discouraged. 
Others make too many resolutions at the same time. Rather than resolving to change one thing, they resolve to change ten things, and it's just too much, and they're overwhelmed. Or for other people, they've become so accustomed to breaking their resolutions that even when making the resolution, they've already expected to fail, even before they've begun. And all of this has led many people, including obviously many of you here today, to reject making New Year's resolutions altogether. The thinking going, well, why attempt to do something that's doomed to fail? And to some, resolution making is simply a waste of time because it leaves them feeling worse about themselves down the road. While this physical reality of failed resolutions is often mirrored in the spiritual realm as well. See if you identify with any of these. We set unrealistic goals for our spiritual growth. We try to fast-track going from a spiritual wimp to a spiritual giant. And we think we can do this in one small bite. Because, of course, like anything, we want it now. We don't want to persevere for something. And so we think that by reading one book, listening to one sermon, or going to one seminar, we're going to change. We're going to go from a spiritual wimp to a spiritual giant overnight. And then we become discouraged when it doesn't stick. Another one that we do is we set too many goals at once. We resolve to start doing daily personal devotions, family devotions, prayer journaling, fasting, and small group Bible study all in the same week. All good things, but again, overwhelming when we try to make too many changes at once. I've made this mistake more than once. And more than once, I've fallen into the devil's scheme. And his scheme is to discourage us, where he whispers in our ear, You failed so often, why even bother trying again? You know it won't be any different next time. And when we fall into that scheme, we we are discouraged to the point where we stop trying. But as Paul told the Corinthians, we are not unaware of the devil's schemes. And so once we've identified his scheme, we must call them out for the lies that they are, and then we must call upon God's power to enable us to overcome those schemes our discouragement, our failures to move forward. So if today, the first day of 2017, if you've already accepted that your spiritual maturity is going to be about the same as it was in 2016, if inwardly you've already sort of just shrugged your shoulders and said, yeah, good enough, you know, I've grown quite a ways till now, I I think I'm good where I'm at, then let me say you've already fallen prey to one of the devil's favorite schemes. You see, God is never interested in good enough, in status quo, or in plateaued spiritual maturity. Not moving forward means we're sliding backwards. You see, God is always, always, always interested in one thing, and that is our growth. In 2 Peter chapter 3, and verses 17 and 18, Peter writes to the early church, Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. And so here we can boil it down to something that we can clearly, emphatically state is God's will for 2017. Be on your guard and grow. 
Be on your guard against the devil's schemes. Be on your guard against false doctrine and the ideas of men that would lead us astray. Be on your guard and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is God's will for us in this coming year. Be on our guard and grow. So with this goal in mind, I want to show you three biblical principles that if implemented will help 2017 to be a year of growth in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. I want you to turn with me now to Philippians chapter 3 and verses 10 to 14. The passage that Rocky read for us earlier is essentially Paul's testimony of where he's been, what Christ did for him, and where he is today. It's essentially a testimony story. But I want to focus in on a few nuggets of truth, a few principles right in the middle of it that I believe if we implement in our own lives will make a a dramatic difference in the coming year. I want you to listen to Paul's wisdom in verse 13. Listen to this. He says, But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. And we're going to stop right there. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. I'm going to give you three F's this morning. They're the title of the sermon if you need to remember them later on. The first one is forget about it. Forget about it. Forgetting what lies behind. If you hope to change, there are two things in the past that you will need to forget in order to move on and to grow. The first thing that we need to forget about is our failures. Of course, in order to do that, we must first address our failures. Forgetting our failures is not the same as dismissing them or or just simply hiding them under the carpet. No, that's not what forgetting our failures biblically is about. Forgetting our failures means we must do the first thing, which is to confess any sins to God and ask for his forgiveness. But then having done that, if you have confessed your sins, you have addressed your failures, you have brought them to the cross of Jesus Christ, if they are covered by his grace, then we are not only allowed to forget them, we are called to forget them. We are called to quit rehearsing our past sins, to quit berating ourselves, quit beating ourselves up, and quit feeling ashamed for past sin and failure. In Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10, The devil is named as the accuser of the brethren. And so as was the case where Satan was before God in his throne room and he accused Job of not being quite as righteous as God thought he was, we can safely assume that there are times where Satan says to God of us Christians today, look at what so-and-so is doing. That's your child? Pathetic. And he accuses us and he names our sin and he, and he accuses us before the king of kings. He loves doing these things to remind, to remind God of, of how, how easily we fall astray. And yet, God's reply to him is always the same. It's not about our merit that, that has earned our forgiveness. No, it is about Jesus' merit and what he has done on our behalf. That is what grace is all about. And so God does not allow these accusations to cast us aside. No, it is about the grace of Jesus Christ. And so when Satan comes to us and reminds us of past sins or failures that we have brought to the cross that have been forgiven by Jesus Christ, and he reminds us to say, remember what you did back there? Remember what you did, how badly you failed? And he attempts to discourage us from moving ahead in faithful service to God. And so we must do the same. 
we must remind ourselves and the enemy that if they have been addressed, if the sins have been confessed and forgiven, then we can forget about them and move on. You see, we can only imagine how often Paul himself, formerly Saul, experienced such attacks. He who had overseen the stoning of death, the stoning to death of Stephen, he who had blasphemed Jesus' name, he who had hunted down and imprisoned fellow uh, followers of Jesus Christ and the early church. He who had in fact believed that by doing so he was earning God's favor. How terribly wrong Saul had been. And the shame of it all must have been overwhelming, must have been staggering. But God's grace was not lacking. God's grace was not lacking. For it cleansed Saul not only of the guilt of his sin, but from the shame of his sin as well. As 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 reminds us, the familiar verse, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Having experienced this perfect cleansing, Paul was then enabled to write these powerful words in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. These are the words of a man who had done all of those terrible things, and yet now he could say with confidence, there is no condemnation. Yes, sin is sin. It is what separates us from God, and it wages war against the soul. But I'm here to tell you that just as God's grace was not lacking for Paul, it is not lacking for you. So if you are the recipient of God's grace, then this applies to you as well. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. What a perfect verse for the the first day of a new year. The old has passed and the new is here. Don't Don't allow past failures, past sin that has been dealt with under the cross, don't allow the shame of it to define who you are today. For once it is covered by grace, we are given the freedom to forget and to press on. But past failures are not all that we need to forget. There's also one that's a little bit less obvious that we need to forget. We also need to forget about past successes. Dr. Warren Wearsby once said, Do not say, Why were the former days better than these? You do not move ahead by constantly looking in a rearview mirror. The past is a rudder to guide you, not an anchor to drag you down. We must learn from the past, but not live in the past. You know, we've all met the guy who will tell you almost every chance he gets how he could have made the NHL if only fill in the blank, right? If only the scouts hadn't left right before the final game when he scored his hat trick, he would have for sure made the NHL. You know, he would have made the NHL if, if oh, he hadn't had that injury in his last year of junior hockey. And, and sure, you know, he's got his story and he's got the newspaper clippings to prove it. His, his trophy case and his mantle is, is full with all of his accomplishments from junior hockey and high school days, and he's probably still trying to squeeze into his junior team's championship jacket from 1974. Right? (laughs) We've all met that guy, or a version of him. Only problem with that guy is this. 
He's stuck in the past. He's stuck in the past and he's not living in the present. You see, if your head's still stuck on how great 1974 was, or 84, or 94, or 2004, if you're, if you're only rehearsing all the good things that happened back then, then chances are you're not seizing the opportunities that God has placed in front of you today. And sadly, many Christians with years of experience to offer are virtually useless in kingdom work today because all they think about is how they used to do this or how they used to do that and coasting into retirement without any regard to the work of the kingdom today. And dying churches have the tendency of sitting back on former accomplishments, self-satisfied without a desire or a burden to work for the Lord today. And very little is as deadly to faithful service as our own self-satisfaction in accomplishments of the past. No one would have found fault with Paul had he reached a place in his life where sitting in one of those, in one of those prison cells, he finally said to himself, you know, I think I've done enough. I've worked hard. I've spread the gospel to more places than any other man in the history of the church. I've served the Lord faithfully. I've suffered countless persecutions. I've put myself out there. It's time for me to call it quits and retire. No one would have blamed Paul if he had said those words. But he didn't say those words, did he? He didn't. No, he was willing to put himself deliberately on the line because the Holy Spirit prompted him that he would go to Rome and preach the gospel to the emperor himself. That was Paul's drive. And so in verse 13, he says, Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken a hold of this. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on. May we each resolve to do the same. And so this is the first F. We must forget the past. Not not forget it as in delete it from the memory banks. Of course, we can still remember things, but we must stop dwelling upon them. Forget the past in order that we can strain towards what is ahead. The second F. Number two, focus on the race at hand. Focus on the race at hand. In verses 13 and 14, Paul is alluding to the Olympic athlete who, running with all of his might as he approaches the finish line, we all saw it this past year, as Andre de Grasse stretched, strained towards the finish line. What do they do at the very last second as they cross the line? They throw themselves forward, hoping that, that maybe their hand or their head will just beat their opponent across the line. They are straining ahead. And this is, the, this is the metaphor that Paul is drawing here when he says, I strain towards what is ahead. The Olympic athlete's entire focus in that moment is not on his past successes or past failures. He's not thinking about what's happening next week or next year. No, he is entirely in that moment focused on one thing, and that is finishing the race and winning the prize. You see, too often we get caught up in thinking far into the past or either far into the future. And it's not that planning ahead is a bad thing. Of course, we must plan ahead. We must consider the future in order to chart the course in the present. But once having done that, we don't stay in the future. Because the future is always unrealized, somewhere distant. And every day, the future will always be there. But don't stay in future thoughts or future plans. The achievement of future dreams requires today's actions. 
Let me say that again. The, the achievement of future dreams requires today's actions. And the challenge is that most of the time, today's actions seem mundane or boring or inconsequential. As a dad of two boys, let me give you a small glimpse of how this might work. As a dad of two boys, and as I just shared, one more on the way, not necessarily a boy, we'll see. But as a dad, my dream, my hope for the future is that my children would enter into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and not just stay there, but then actively engage in serving him in whatever way God would call them. That is my my hope, my dream for the future. So what does that look like in today's reality? Because you see, at bedtime, when they're hyper and I'm tired, the temptation is there to skip those evening devotions, to skip reading them their Bible story, to skip talking with them about it and praying with them before bed and just tuck them in so that I can have some peace and quiet. The temptation is there every day. And the easiest thing to do in that moment of temptation is to tell myself, I'll do it tomorrow. Skipping today is no big deal. But today, not tomorrow, is what matters. Because I know that by the time Declan is graduating from high school, Lord willing, (laughs) by the time that day comes, it will be a collection of faithful todays that will have impacted and influenced the direction of his life the most. Tomorrow doesn't count. Today counts. And I've learned that I'll do it tomorrow is usually just a nice excuse we tell ourselves to make ourselves feel better. F.B. Meyer said, Don't waste your time waiting and longing for larger opportunities which may never come. But faithfully handle the little things that are always claiming your attention each day. Focus on the race at hand. Whatever season of life you are in, what has God placed in front of you today? Be faithful. For today is what matters. Focus on the race at hand. And then thirdly, the third F is finish strong. Finish strong. On May 29th, 2011, it looked like it was destiny. The day Dale Earnhardt Jr. was rounding the last lap of the Charlotte Motor Speedway. I don't know if there's any NASCAR fans here today who remember this day, but if you're a Dale Earnhardt Jr. fan, this will be etched in your memory. You could just imagine the script that was being set. It was Memorial Day. He was being sponsored by the National Guard, and he was finally going to win for the first time in 105 races. What a drought. Fans were hysterical, stomping and cheering louder and louder. The moment promised much celebration and patriotism as Dale Earnhardt Jr. came around the backstretch of the Coca-Cola 600. Then suddenly, just like that, way out in front, it was over. The gas tank of his Chevrolet ran dry, and Kevin Harvick sped right around him and stole the victory on the final lap. The race was lost because Dale Earnhardt Jr. ran out of gas on the last lap of his race, and the drought continued. The Apostle Paul wanted to guard against something like this happening to him. He knew that he was, he was miles ahead of most people as far as his, his zeal in serving the Lord, but he even said of himself 
that I have not yet attained all of this. I do not consider myself yet to have been reaching completion or perfection. And so, not wanting to finish short of the, of the prize at the end, he says, I press on, verse 14, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You see, the person who trains for athletic competition doesn't sacrifice and spend all of those hours because he wants to come in second place or come up short on the final lap. No, the goal is to finish the race. The goal is to win. In the Olympics, the three-tiered platform is ever on the athlete's mind. He wants to be called up to stand above his peers as the judge places the crown on his head and the medal around his neck. And this was Paul's goal as well. He knew that one day he would stand before the judge of the universe. He didn't want to come up short. He wanted to finish well. He wanted to finish strong. And he wanted to hear the words, Well done, good and faithful servant. You see, it was not the applause of men, but the approval of God that Paul desired. And in light of all that Jesus had done for him, Paul wanted to give his very best to the Lord right to the very end. And Paul would not be satisfied until he took his last breath, giving his all to Jesus right to the very end. And so may we each resolve to finish well. Whatever it is that is at hand that God has called you to do, finish well. Don't don't run out of gas in the final lap. Finish strong. Be faithful in the little things. And God will enable us to finish well that we too may hear his admonition, receive his prize, well done, good and faithful servant. And so as we head into a new year, let me ask you, are you in need of a fresh start spiritually? Well then focus on these three simple things to begin this year. Forget the past. And let me just add to that. If there are things in your past that you have not yet brought to the cross of Jesus Christ, what are you waiting for? Take it to the cross, confess your sin and receive that cleansing, then you can forget about it and move on. Forget the past. Then focus on what is at hand. Let me ask you, what has God put at your hands right now? What has he called you to be faithful in today? Don't say, I'll do it tomorrow. Do it today. Focus on what is at hand. And then finally, focus on what we are racing towards. Our citizenship is not of this world, it is of heaven. So may we resolve to finish strong, just as Paul did. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you how you inspired the Apostle Paul by your Holy Spirit with such zeal. You inspired him with such insight and wisdom. And you gave him, Lord, such stamina to finish well. Thank you that we can follow his example. And that we too can forget what is behind, that we can focus on what is at hand, straining ahead towards that finish line, and that we too can finish well and receive one day your admonition, well done, good and faithful servant, and receive the prizes of glory that you have waiting for those who are faithful in your service. Bless your church, Lord, to this end, that we may grow both in spirit and in number in this coming year, according to your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.